This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokatov, good morning. How are you? Bokatov, um, yesterday we had quite a lengthy discussion about uh, the uh, International Court of Justice ruling, and I also had a little rant about UNRWA. Um, one of the things that came out of the International Court of Justice ruling was this demand on Israel to allow more aid to be. Um, uh, to enter the Gaza Strip in order to um, allow the mm, uh, displaced mm. persons, the refugees there, um, to get what they deserve. And I think it would be worth just pointing out a few little um, snippets of information about that aid. Firstly, Israel has been letting aid into the Gaza Strip, but has had to be very cautious about letting aid into the Gaza Strip because we know that arms and ammunition can easily be hidden and are hidden within the aid mm, trucks mm. that are entering the Gaza Strip. So let's not forget that this is a war and that we can't simply allow things to flow freely when we know for sure that every little element of humanitarian aid, every little opening is being uh, used and being abused in favor of um, the uh, terrorists that we're fighting against. So Israel is forced to check each and every shipment of aid that goes into the Gaza Strip. Um, some of you may recall that there was this discussion a week or two ago about medication mm. that would go mm. to the hostages and in return for that medication would go, would go to the Gaza Strip. Well, um, to, 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 to refugees of the Gaza Strip that it would go to the hospitals and that the medication would be distributed to the civilians in that way. Well, what actually happened in the end with those shipments of medication is that the moment those trucks crossed into Gaza, they were simply ripped apart by the people who were waiting on the other side of the crossing. Every bit of medication that people could lay their hands on was absolutely stolen from those trucks and then was resold on the black market in Gaza afterwards um, for huge sums of money. So when we're talking about allowing aid to go in and Israel does allow the aid to go in, this is what we get. And of course, we do know even the humanitarian aid, the food and uh, emergency supplies don't necessarily go to the civilians who are really the ones who need it. A lot of those trucks um, are heavily armed and go right through the Gaza Strip directly towards Hamas which is where the, um, the food and, and the aid goes to. So when the International Court of Justice makes a kind of simple statement, it sounds obvious, it sounds obvious, right? Nobody would argue that aid needs to go to those uh, civilians. Um, however, it's not quite as obvious as you think. And quite interestingly, there are battles going on along the border with Gaza between hostage families and aid trucks, because the hostage families are saying, don't allow the aid to go into Gaza, all the time that our family members are being kept 
in isolation and imprisoned in Gaza and who are not getting the benefit of this aid. So the hostage families are drawing a direct link between the aid that's going into Gaza, much of which is going actually to Hamas, and their family members who are being kept illegally and unlawfully and against the order of the International Court of Justice being kept in Gaza. And there have been battles along the border. And in fact, even members of hostage families have been arrested as a result of them standing in the way of the aid trucks going into Gaza. So when you hear something that sounds absolutely obvious, just remember that there are always two sides to every story and not everything is quite as obvious as it sounds. Um, and of course, I'm sure the listeners will have their say on this as well. Indeed. Uh, let's uh, let's just uh, talk about we're at day 116 of Operation Sword of Iron. So uh, th- th- to me, yesterday was a bit strange because we saw this massive barrage of rockets coming from uh, from Gaza to towards Israel. And I thought, wow, you know, this is this is many days into this war. How are they still able to coordinate these attacks? Yeah, Um, and it's not even that they're able to coordinate the attacks, but this is a barrage of rockets that apparently was fired from northern Gaza, which we understand is almost entirely under the IDF's control. So the message is that um, to destroy Hamas infrastructure and rocket firing capability takes more than 115 days and unfortunately involves more than the loss of almost 200 soldiers which is unfortunately what we've already lost since the ground invasion began to Gaza. This is not a simple exercise and it was a very very interesting um, discussion, a, a very interesting article that was written by a US military expert who tried to analyze the work that the IDF has been doing in Gaza and compare it to other military campaigns because I think we have a certain expectation that Mm. the moment the Mm. IDF goes into Gaza, everything is taken care of, the rockets will immediately uh, cease firing and that Hamas will immediately capitulate. But it's not quite like that. This is a real military campaign of the likes of wars that have been seen in the past. And when we compare it to other military campaigns, um, which this particular military general did, um, it seems as if the IDF are actually doing a pretty good job and a pretty effective and efficient job of taking down as much infrastructure as possible. This style of guerrilla warfare, um, it's not really classical guerrilla warfare, but the point is that the military infrastructure is embedded within the civilian world is very, very difficult. And in fact, I was reading another article um, that uh, presented the story of a staff sergeant from the Oketz unit. The Oketz mm, unit mm. is the unit the that has the dogs. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, the dog, uh, the canine unit. And um, a story about Ziggy, the dog, that was unfortunately killed in action and was the dog of Staff Sergeant N, whose name is not made public, but he says, and that he record, he recounts the, the moment that Ziggy was killed. And he says, I remember exactly what happened. I entered the house with the 101st Battalion of troop, paratroop and engineering soldiers. So now they're entering a private house in Gaza. We scanned the first floor. I insisted that my devoted dog Ziggy also do a scan on the second floor of the residence. It's a private home. As soon as he came down the staircase of the house in Khan Yunus, the terrorists shot at him and Ziggy was killed on the spot. 
he saved my life and the lives of six other soldiers mm -hmm. who were in the building. So this is the kind of guerrilla action, door-to-door -door, uh, fighting that is going on in Khan Yunus and other areas around uh, Gaza. And the infrastructure for rocket uh, firing capability is almost impossible to completely eliminate. It just exists almost everywhere. I've said before, I've described it as being almost like a drain in the road. And there are numerous of these, thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And one needs to remain in order for the rocket firing capability to continue. And we saw that yesterday in this barrage, which was so neatly coordinated, something like 10 missiles all at once you just uh, there are pictures of them being mm -hmm. fired from gaza you see all of them one next to each other having been fired absolutely simultaneously in order to try to confuse the iron dome um, anti-missile system and in order to somehow try to sneak one or two through the barrier as things turned out fortunately most of tel aviv were in their bomb shelters yesterday and there were no reports of casualties in that particular barrage it was the first barrage towards tel aviv in something like a, a month so that already goes to show that a lot of the infrastructure and capability has been destroyed but not completely and it's going to take another fair a fairly significant period of time until the full extent of the hamas a rocket firing capability mm -hmm. and military infrastructure is destroyed. And that's one of the reasons why the government is insisting not only that we go in and destroy the infrastructure, but that Hamas themselves are brought down. Because all the time that Hamas continues to be in existence, they will continue to want to carry out October the 7th over and over and over well, again. They've said and they've said it yeah. so loudly. Yeah. Yeah, they've said it so loudly and so clearly that nobody can argue about it unless you're absolutely deaf or simply don't want to believe what is coming out of the horse's mouth. Um, and also yesterday, in parallel with um, the barrage of rockets that we saw from Gaza and the ongoing battles that we uh, hear about from Khan Yunus, of course, there were terror attacks that were carried out mm. across Israel, one in Haifa, where an Israeli Arab was involved in a ramming incident against a soldier who was um, stationed outside a naval base in Haifa. That um, that individual not only rammed the soldier, but then got out of his car wielding an axe in order to try to uh, kill soldiers and to, to harm others. One soldier has been very, very seriously injured in the incident. Fortunately, the individual was neutralized at a very, very early stage that prevented him from continuing to, to cause death and destruction. But this was not even Palestinian or a, a, a Palestinian authority or a Gazan. This was an Israeli citizen, an Israeli Arab, who felt that they were emboldened and empowered um, as a result of the, the recent events to go out and carry out this attack. There was another ramming attack that was carried out in the area of Tukwa, um, and so a number of different uh, terror incidents that were taking place across Israel, within Israel's borders. That is what we are currently having to face on a daily basis, not to speak, of course, of what's still continuing to go on in the north, mm -hmm. on the Lebanese mm -hmm. border, on the Syrian border. Another um, attack in Damascus attributed to Israel um, apparently killed Iranian advisors in the area of Damascus, Syria yesterday. So the... Um, 
this this is a multi-front operation i've said it a few times and i can't emphasize to what extent these multiple fronts continue to operate what bothered me about yesterday was not necessarily the access to the rockets but the fact that hamas has still has a coordination capability it means that somewhere somewhere there's a group sitting and controlling what's going on Correct. in Gaza and able to communicate with the, uh, you know, with their, with their fighters. Uh, so uh, that, 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 that is, uh, and perhaps that was the whole point, is to send that message. But uh, it's, uh, it it's, is absolutely. it's a concern. Mm. And I think the fact that these rockets were all sent so simultaneously and so well-timed mm. uh, is exactly evidence of that. Um, the defense minister has said that he feels there's something like half, half of Half of the Hamas terror force is currently incapacitated, either having been killed or injured. Half. So in 115 days of fighting, we have managed to somehow incapacitate half of the terror force, which means the other half continues to operate somehow, albeit under slightly more limited conditions. But you're right. I mean, they still clearly have the capability to coordinate uh, and to battle. And we see that not only Mm -hmm. on the ground in Gaza in the the house-to-house battles that are going on, but of course in these rockets that are fired from time to time, not only towards Tel Aviv, but of course towards the Gaza envelope area as well. Let's just in the in the last two minutes that we have available to us this morning, uh, talk about the hostage deal. Any any uh, the, the, any progress? Because it seems to be a few steps forward and yeah. then many steps backwards. Well, there was a meeting that took place in Paris over the weekend involving U.S. intermediaries, Qatari intermediaries, Egyptians, um, an Israeli delegation also was sent to Paris to talk about hostage exchange. And some details of the deal have actually been released um, or at least published. I don't know how accurate they are, but one article that I read suggested that what was on di- what was up for discussion is a three-phase plan um, which was uh, intended for presentation to Hamas. So this was a plan that apparently was cooked up but not yet presented to Hamas. And under the plan in the first phase, something like 35 to 40 Israeli hostages, including women, elderly men above 60, and those in critical medical condition would be released, in return for which there would be a six-week ceasefire along with the release of many Palestinian prisoners. Um, at least this was information that came out from uh, Israeli and Qatari officials. And apparently the Israeli war cabinet did approve that particular deal, but Hamas has rejected it. And Hamas um, apparently is coming out and saying no discussions until there is an absolute ceasefire. So one has to think about what the buttons are that are sensitive to Hamas. And the prime minister is of the view that the stronger the battle in Gaza, the more we fight, the more we battle, the more we uh, threaten their stronghold in Khan Yunus, the more likely Hamas is to capitulate or to be more flexible in negotiating terms on a hostage exchange. Um, And that is certainly the tactic that's currently being adopted. But as of now, there seems to be no absolute deal which has been agreed upon by the parties, and so the battle continues in Khan Yunus. Anthony Rock, thank you. As always, we'll catch Anthony tomorrow morning at 7.45 for the Israel Report. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohen from the Blue Agency. 
Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Tzahal, who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all. Oh,